Let's take our Bibles and turn back to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. Six books in, and we're in chapter 6 this morning. We're continuing our study. If you haven't been here, you're here for the first time. Again, welcome to you. We're continuing our study of Israel's progression into the promised land, and we've been paralleling their experiences uh, and their calling with our own as a church, especially as it relates to what Tony just talked about uh, in terms of outreach. Now, Israel's at a very pivotal moment as you get to chapter 6, and if you want to just glance back to chapter 1, let's real quick recap what's happened so far, okay? Chapter 1, the Lord charged the people to be strong and courageous as they go to take this new ground that he had promised to Abraham. And in chapter 2, the Lord gave them a very definitive proof of victory that he had promised uh, in terms of talking to Rahab, who was uh, in Jericho. And then in chapter 3, the Lord told the people to consecrate themselves, to be holy and to be prepared. Uh, And then he miraculously brought them across uh, the Jordan River, which had dried up. All the water had stacked up miles and miles away. And he showed his power and his provision there. Chapter 4 The Lord had them set up memorial stones. We talked about 12 rocks um, so that they wouldn't forget his work so that there would be a constant reminder. And actually, there were two sets of stones, the 12 on the shore at Gilgal and the ones in the middle of the Jordan. And then last week in chapter 5, the Lord restored circumcision as an example of the sacrifice. And there's that word again, investment, uh, that they needed to make to trust him and to follow his leading. Now we get to chapter 6, and it all becomes very real in chapter 6 because it's time to conquer this first city in Canaan, the city of Jericho. And Jericho, even today, is right on the banks of the Jordan River. It's very close in proximity, so we don't know if the people of Jericho um, had, had witnessed the crossing of the Jordan. We don't know if they saw that. We don't know if they heard the rushing of the water from 17 miles away during the flood stage. Remember, we talked about that last week. But it is safe to assume that they were not unaware. There were towers up on the walls of the city of Jericho, and because of its proximity to the Jordan River, it is pretty safe to assume uh, that they knew what was going on, that they could have seen uh, this display of millions of people walking across the Jordan River, which was now dried up, that they could see the floodwaters coming back, Um, And if their hearts weren't already melted, as Rahab had said in chapter 2, then I don't know what else could have convinced them. This repeat of the Red Sea miracle that they had talked about, um, that Rahab had said, when we heard about that, we lost all our courage. Now they see it repeated. And the city of Jericho at this point has to be stripped of any confidence at all. So chapter 6, verse 1, Israel's ready to go in. Israel's crossed the Jordan. The Lord has blocked the path to go back, and now it is time to go forward. But before the Lord conquers Jericho for them, before all this is set into motion and the nation of Israel's future changes forever, God is still calling them to some final acts of of, uh, disciplined obedience. He's saying, now I want you to understand exactly what we're going to do and how vitally important it is that you understand from this moment on, because your parents and grandparents didn't get this, that you understand from this moment on how important it is that you obey my word. 
So let's read the text. We're going to read 21 verses. I know that's a lot, but when you're in narrative like the Old Testament, you've got to read a lot. So uh, let's read this familiar story. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You will march around the city, all the men of war circling the city of once. You will do this for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you will march around the city seven times, and the priests will blow the trumpets. It shall be that when you make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet... All the people will shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. So Joshua, verse 6, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, let the armed men go before the Ark of the Lord. And it was so, that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth. Until the day I tell you, shout, then you will shout. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling at once. Then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Now Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow the trumpets. Thus on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp and did so for six days. On the seventh day... They rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time when the police blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city will be under the ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom you sent. As for the Lord, excuse me, as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. Remember that. We're going to see it in a couple chapters. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They will go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, the priests blew the trumpets, and when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and oxen, sheep, and donkey at the edge of the sword. Now, knowing it's time to invade, chapter 6, verse 1, tells us that Jericho is more uh, tightly sealed than usual. They knew what had happened. They knew why Israel was there. They knew the power of God with the Red Sea and the Jordan River. And knowing that, knowing what Israel intended to do, they were going to shut themselves off and fight it. And even as I thought about that principle this week, I thought that's actually a picture of what we're often going to face. As we go out 
and as we try to tell people about the love of Christ. Like Jericho, some homes, some people are going to be closed off. They're not going to want any part of what we want to tell them. Because they see this, they see the sharing of our faith, they see us talking about Jesus and talking about the Bible and talking about God's forgiveness. They see that as an invasion on our part. And the biggest difference is that we're not trying to physically conquer them like some of these protests that you see where anybody who raises any dissent gets beaten or harassed or spit on or rocks thrown at them. We're not trying to physically conquer people. What Tony just talked about of knocking on the door and just saying, we, we just want you to know God loves you and here's a gift and, and we want you to, to, to read this word of God. We're trying to, to let them know about the amazing grace of God that we just sang about. This is not bullying, it's not uh, coercing, it's not tactics to try to convince them. We just want them to know God loves you. God loves you. Christ died for you. And in Jericho, like in so much of our culture, they, they knew the truth. Remember that their hearts were, were so overwhelmed as they recognized chapter 2, verse 11, that God is the Lord of heaven and earth. They understood throughout the nation the people were, were, were losing spirit because they knew the power of God uh, that had been shown in the Jordan River. They knew that, that Israel was there to take the land. But even in the face of truth, even in the face of what was obvious, they were stubborn and shut off and resistant to spiritual reality. Now, how do we respond to that? Well, we have to be careful that there's no measure of arrogant superiority. We know the truth and you don't. No, there, there can be none of that. God won't bless that. There also can't be any measure of judgmental thinking. Well, I can't believe you're so lost. And, and we even maybe are hesitant to use the word lost because it's like it might be offending to somebody. Well, actually, they, they haven't understood how much God loves them. So in their minds, the Bible says that they're blinded. But we don't take any joy in that. That should humble us. That should break us that, that so many minds are blinded to the truth of God's love and mercy. So being shut out, if we knock on a door and somebody spits on us and I don't want your Bible, get away from me, I don't care about your church. Listen, that, that's fine. That should just make us hungry to tell more people. It should tell us that the enemy is going to fight this. But remember, some people are going to be very receptive to the truth. Rahab and her family were waiting they were waiting to hear what had happened, and they were waiting to be saved. And that should encourage us, because look at what God tells Joshua in verses 6 to 11. He says, you are going to have victory. The same principle applies to our efforts to tell and influence people for Christ. Because Jesus has already secured victory, we, through our lives and our words, can exhibit victory, and we can tell others about how they can have victory. And when we do that, when we serve the Lord in that way, the Lord will give us victory. But he knows our tendencies, right? And he knew Israel's tendencies. So even though the enemy's already emotionally defeated, even though the enemy's already practically defeated, he has to reinforce that I am the one, God says, I am the one who is going to get victory because we're slow to learn, aren't we? And sometimes we fail to remember. So when that happens, and this is our uh, thrust of our study this morning, when that happens, God sometimes uses very unorthodox methods, methods to teach us. 
Look at the plan here, because it was repeated a couple different times. God's trying to get this into our hearts. So look at the plan for conquering Jericho. God is very detailed. God is very specific. But from an intellectually strategic standpoint, let's be very honest, it seems very illogical. It seems somewhat misguided. And it may be even a little bit unsafe. They're going to be completely exposed. It's not like they're hiding behind rocks. It's not like they're setting up flanks that are strategically going to move in and kind of ambush and blindside Jericho. They are going to be out there every day marching around, exposed, looking fairly unproductive as they circle the city every day for a whole week, and every single person's going to be out there. Now, if you're like me, I'm sitting in my tent at night going, why are we doing it this way? I mean, I know the Lord said this, but shouldn't the generals be getting together and planning some kind of line of attack? Shouldn't the soldiers be, be training themselves and getting the weapons ready? And shouldn't there should be some, some strategic plans, maybe a diagram of how we're going to do this? And, and, and above all, shouldn't the women and children be out of harm's way? Because it doesn't seem to make sense if I'm a parent sitting in my tent with my five-year-old, that I'm going to be out there exposed every single day for Jer the people of Jericho to look at and go, we can't wait to take that on. they got the women and the kids out there. They've got people that are old. They've got people that are, uh, uh, it's not just soldiers. It's not just strong warriors. It's everybody. How does that make sense? Other than it being the Lord's word. But how many know when you have the Lord's word, that's enough? That's all they needed. Every plan that we make, including what we just talked about, needs to be submitted to the Lord. Every plan, listen now, every plan that we make needs to be submitted to the Lord because he's the only wise one. There's a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 33, that says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The New Living Translation puts it differently. It says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. So while we believe that this neighborhood outreach initiative is a great idea, we believe it's ordained by the Lord, we believe he's going to bless it, we don't know. It may be incredibly successful. There may be people that get saved. New people may come to this church, and we can disciple them. Harbor Rock may be more visible in the community, so we can have a position of spiritual influence and, and training. We may see more people come here. We may see more opportunities for ministry and for service. Or it may be that we just bless 300 households with a gift, and that's it. It's hard to imagine, though, that the Lord won't really use this to advance his kingdom and to draw people to himself. But that's up to him. So we pray and we prepare and then we go out and God is the one who will give the increase. And as he clearly leads us in the days ahead and shows us the right path to take, we have to follow him implicitly. Now, I'm sure the people of Israel, if you look back at these plans again, verses 6 to 11, I'm sure they had questions. But despite them, 
I am encouraged that they obeyed exactly as they were instructed, even though it may have seemed strange and even though it required everybody's commitment. And the Lord's really clear on that. Look back at verse 7 for a minute. He says, this is not just the armed soldiers. It's not just the priests. Everybody is to walk around. Soldiers and the priests, one circle a day. For each of the first six days. On the seventh day, they're going to walk around seven times. The rest of the people are supposed to walk out on the outer edges. And they're supposed to be with them. Probably not making a full revolution around the city because there's so many of them. But, but the Lord is very specific. Everybody out there. Now, on top of that, if you look at the end of verse 5, he says something else that, that we have to notice. He says, once the walls of the city fall flat, every person will go straight ahead. Now, two important details there. Every person and going straight ahead. Now, what does that mean? It means everyone. That's every man, every woman, every child is supposed to go into Jericho. I read the passage about six times to make sure that was right. Every person is supposed to go. It's not just the priests. It's not just the men of war. It's every person, no matter their age, no matter their gender, no matter their life situation, no matter their ability. And that's a very important detail because it's a spiritual principle for us. Every person who claims the name of the Lord, every person who says they're saved, every person who's living for Him is required to be part of the investment of the work of the Lord. There's no exception. There's no, uh, I'm, I'm, I have other things to do or I, I can't do this right now because my body won't let me or, or my life situation or I don't have enough money. It, it's, it's everybody. It's not just the work of the pastors or the leaders. Just like with chapter 5, everybody has to be invested. Now that commitment would have been scary. And it would have been intimidating. But the Lord says again, I'm going to give you victory. You may be heavily involved in ministry. You may be heavily involved in sharing Christ and making disciples. Many of you are here at this church. And, and it's such a delight to see that. It's a huge help to our ministry. It's an encouragement and a blessing that so many are invested. But, but maybe you're on the sideline for whatever reason. You don't, you don't feel ready or, or you don't feel like you have time. Or maybe you just really don't want to be involved. I want to encourage you this morning. This passage shows that if we're the Lord's, not being invested and not serving is not an option. And it's made a whole lot easier because the Holy Spirit gives us His gifts and His power and His direction to, to have victory. So if you're on the sideline this morning, I encourage you not to stay there. Get going. Get involved. Find a place of ministry. We have plenty of them. Start to live this out Every single day, wherever you go, talk to people, ask questions, share the love of Christ, show the heart of Christ, serve others in some way. And that starts at home. In your marriage and in your family, it extends here to church, and then just as quickly, it goes out into the world. So everyone is involved. Second, would you see that he says, go straight ahead. Now, what does that mean? means there's no distraction, no deviation from God's instruction and plans. Now, I'm sure a lot of people are sitting there going, 
I'm just going to stay back here at a safe distance because I have a newborn. I'm going to stay back here because my kids are going to run off if we're not kind of far away from this. It's kind of wacky. The priest and the, and the ark and the soldiers are walking around and they're blowing trumpets and I don't know. Let's just, let's just kind of stay back, honey, and, 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 and maybe not be too involved. At that point, there's not a lot of conviction. But here's what the Lord says. He says, when those walls fall, go straight ahead. Get right into the battle. Get your hands dirty because this is my work. Now again, this is strong instruction to not shy away from being involved, even if and including times of warfare. Some people I've known over the years say, I don't want to get involved in ministry. I don't want to take it farther in my walk because if I do, I'm going to, I'm going to be under warfare. And you know what? That's absolutely right. If you're serving the Lord, it should be completely expected. It shouldn't surprise you and it shouldn't intimidate you. Why? Because who is on our side? Who is on our side? The battle belongs to who? Tell me. The Lord. Not my battle. When I'm under warfare, every time I preach, I'm under warfare. Every time I do the work of ministry, I'm under warfare. Anytime I take a stand, I'm under warfare. Not because I'm the pastor, but because I'm a believer. And when you and I stand for our convictions, when you and I share our faith, when you and I sacrifice and do the work of ministry, guess what? The enemy is going to come calling, and he's going to attack us and try to hit us. But he's already been defeated. His future is already secure. And the Lord says, the battle is mine. This is my battle. You stand for me, I'll take care of you. God's never going to leave us ill-equipped or defenseless. We have to know that because we have His Holy Spirit. Listen, the Bible says the road is very narrow. It's not easy. It's not broad. It doesn't have multiple turnoffs. There aren't places where we can stop that will corrupt us. If you want to walk on the road of life, it is narrow, and we have to stay focused, and we have to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, moving steadily, straight ahead, not distracted, not deviating, just walking toward Christ. Because that's what he says to them right here. Everybody involved. Everybody goes straight ahead into the battle because I'm with you and I've already given you victory. Apply that to your life. Apply that to your life. Not just in terms of being invested and engaged, but in terms of confidence in God's sufficiency and power and his help. Now, look at another detail here in verses 8 to 9, because this is what I love. Look at the formation that he puts them in. He says, the armed soldiers are to go ahead of the ark. So the soldiers are in front, and they're to be followed by the seven priests. And then the ark, and then a flank of soldiers behind the ark. Okay, so get this visually. The soldiers go in front, the priests go after, the ark follows, and then there's another group of soldiers behind. Now that's a different formation than when they crossed the Jordan. So remember when they crossed the Jordan, the Lord said, the priests go first with the ark. You guys stay back. Thousand yards, you stay back from the ark. So, so everybody stay away. The priests going to go out. They're going to touch the water. Water's going to go back. They're going to walk out on dry ground. And they're going to stand there the whole time that the nation crosses. 
Now, he was telling them when he did that, that I'm going before you. That I'm the power, I'm the help, I'm the sufficiency, I'm your strength, I'm your leading. Now, you've seen that, Israel, you know that, you've had evidence of that all throughout. Now, I want to be the center of everything that you do. The change in formation is not an accident. And this was not a new message. It was just one they had forgotten. Remember when they set up the tabernacle in the wilderness? They put... The, the tent of meeting right in the center and they put the Ark of the Covenant in the holy place. And then all the 12 tribes, three to the north, three to the east, three to the south, three to the west. Three, 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 three. They all surrounded the Ark of the Covenant. And then the presence of the Lord, the manifest presence of the Lord in a cloud would come down and it would fill the tabernacle. And all the people would be able to see it because as they camped, the Ark was right in the center. Now they go to march on Jericho. And God says, I want you to place the ark right in the middle. Between the soldiers and the priests, with soldiers behind, and the people all around. And I want you to get this, Israel. You've seen that I'm faithful. You've seen that I'm powerful. You see that I keep my word. You see that I'm leading you to victory. Now make me the center of everything you do. What a principle for our lives. That God, in our relationship with him, can't just be marginalized. We've talked about this before, but let's talk about it again. God just can't be part of our lives. Well, I do my Christian thing over here, and then I do my hobby thing over here, and I do my work thing over here, I do my family thing over here, and I do my other things over here. That's not how it works. Christ is everything. Christ is the center of everything. If it's not honoring to Christ, it shouldn't be part of your life. If it doesn't please the Lord, honor the Lord, serve the Lord, declare the Lord, and make you closer to the Lord, then you need to get rid of it because if that's not happening, Christ isn't really at the center. He's over to the side. Now, there's one other important detail here that has some spiritual implications. As they set up, as everybody gets ready to march around the city one time a day, Joshua gives them a very important provision. He says the priests are going to be blowing the trumpets all throughout the time we're walking. So there's going to be noise. But he says, I want you, the people, I want you to be completely silent. Now, you would think if there's a million people, two million people marching, and the priests are blowing these trumpets, and it's kind of loud, and there's commotion from Jericho, and they're all looking down at this spectacle that's before them, you would think that in all that noise, the people would be able to talk among themselves and kind of, kind of, hey, what do you think about this? This is kind of wild. Look at this. They're watching us. He says, I don't want you to say a word. I don't even want there to be whispering among families. In other words, there can be no mental distraction. There can be no hint of any kind of carelessness and arrogance that would come from having kind of casual conversations along the way. He says, I don't want anything that will sidetrack you from what is going on. That's a very difficult and, and pointed requirement. It would be like saying to you, you can't ever have a cell phone again. 
but Lord, I'm serving you. I need my cell phone. No, you don't. You don't have a cell phone. And I thought about that for a while because I never really caught that in studying this text. Why did the Lord do this? Well, I believe he did it to be, keep them completely focused. How hard is it in the time that we live in to stay focused? When you're studying the Bible and, and, and you kind of think and your, your phone buzzes and you get a text or you think, I'll just, I'll just check social media for a minute or, or let me put on a song or I got to grab something to eat because I'm kind of hungry and, and, and you're studying the word, but, but you get distracted or you're praying. This one's hard, right? How hard is it to stay focused when you're praying? Because if you're like me, your mind goes in 19 different tangents and pretty sure soon you're in Topeka at some restaurant. You were supposed to be praying, but not anymore because, wah! Everything in our culture, and this is intentional from the enemy, is designed to distract us. All the barrage of information that's so helpful to be able to click twice and get any information you need about anything in the world, all, all that is, is a smokescreen. It's helpful, but it is designed to distract us. The enemy wants nothing less than, than, or nothing more. I don't know which it is. You know what I mean. He wants nothing more than for you to never spend time sitting in the presence of the Lord. He, he never wants you and me to meditate on the Word. He never wants us to get deeply engaged in prayer. He never wants us to have spiritual conversations. He doesn't want us to come to Bible study. He doesn't want us to come on Sunday morning because there's a lake out there and there's a cabin out there and there's sports out there and there's all kinds of stuff out there. So, so let's not do that. Let's do what we want. And you can give time to the Lord later. I'm right, aren't I? Imagine how hard it would have been. I, I sat on this all week. Imagine how hard it would have been if you had little children and you had to say to them, as we walk around the city today, sweetheart, you can't say a word. But dad, nope, shh. Uh, uh, shh. But the priests are blowing the trumpets. It's not, shh. We can't say anything. Day after day, after day, after day, after day, after day. The seventh day, they had to do it seven times. And I got to think at night, again, as people are sitting in their tents, if there's a little grumbling, there's a little pushback, because Israel is known for that, right? This is a moment, listen very carefully, the Lord wants to speak to us now. This is a moment of focused discipline for the people of God. And as they had learned from the desert and as they had learned from the Jordan River and as they saw those 12 stones stacked up, they and we have to understand that there is no alternative to trusting the Lord and obeying the Lord. There is no alternative. Focus, quiet, walking, exposed. As you and I look at our lives, what are our reactions to the Lord's methods and the Lord's leading? No matter how off the wall it may seem, is there a spirit of faith or is there a spirit of doubt and debate? See, this situation is testing them 
in a way that's familiar. If you look back at chapter 3, very familiar. They have to trust God's plan. They have to trust God's leading. They have to move forward in confidence in his provision. They have to answer the questions of their children of can they trust this. They have to, to be out there exposed. They have to simply rely on the word of the Lord, being sure of victory only because the Lord said there is going to be victory. And I want to tell you, that's how we're supposed to live every single day. Some of you may have heard, maybe you didn't, that my mother was in a very, very serious car accident Monday night. She's 83 next week, and as a result of being hit, now has 60 broken bones. Six zero. Every time I tell somebody that, they're like, six zero? Yep, 60. Her left ribs are shattered. She has a broken sternum, broken pelvis, broken ankle, among other injuries. It is a very traumatic situation, and recovery is going to be long and difficult. So she wonders, after losing my dad this summer, after 80, 75 years of walking with the Lord, having a stronger desire than ever just to go be with the Lord, she wonders why at 83 she's going through this trial. And she stated that to me on the phone on Friday. She said, there are a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainties about my future, and I just kind of don't understand why the Lord's putting me through this trial right now, and, and honestly, I can't blame her. But then last night, as I was talking to her on the phone, her conclusion was, well, this is where he has me, and this is my ministry now. And I said to myself, as I've been thinking about this text, that's the mark of mature faith. That's the mark of mature faith. You see, the shout of victory and the conquest of the city were not at the start. They were at the end of steadfast faith and obedience every day with everyone all in. The Lord didn't say, day one, good, we crossed the Jordan. Now, go take the city. It's yours. It's happening. He said, day after day, I want you to walk around in silence, trusting me. And I want you to be patient and steadfast. And I want you to just know that I've got this. That patient and steadfastness of our commitment is so critical to us experiencing the victories that the Lord wants to show us. Faith is rewarded with confidence, and obedience is rewarded with God's provision. And that shows because look at how, look at how the Lord secures the victory. Israel obeys exactly as he's told them. And on the seventh day, when the priests blow the long shout of the trumpet, when it's long, and this is finally the time the people shout with a great shout. And look at verse 20. It says, the walls of Jericho fell down flat. Now that's a very important detail because historians have determined, and I got a picture for you here. Historians have determined that the city was built with two layers of walls. So if you look to the right, that's ground level. You see that the first wall was built on another wall and that was about 23 feet high. After that, there was an earthen embankment that went uphill between lower wall and upper wall. 
and the upper wall then went up another 23 feet. So the base of the upper wall was about 46 feet above ground level. Think about that. 46 feet. So the whole thing from the ground level to the top of the upper wall was about six stories high. Everything about that picture is formidable. Everything about that picture is intimidating. It seems impossible to overcome. But here's the thing. When the Lord had the designers design the wall, he had this day in mind. When God put it in the hearts of the people of Jericho, you need to build a wall. He knew this day was coming. How do I know that? Keep the image up. Because historians have shown in excavating the city of Jericho that when the walls fell, that the upper wall fell outward and the lower wall fell outward. And that created a ramp for the people to go right up into the city. See, what looks insurmountable to us, what looks like I can't overcome that because there are walls standing in my way, God says, oh, when you trust me, I've got it because I'm going to give you a ramp. The people didn't have any effort to go straight ahead. This was not a coincidence. This was the Lord's provision for his people. And how many know that when we serve the Lord and follow his leading, he will provide. What an amazing testament to the faithfulness of God. He didn't ask them to do anything he didn't provide for them to be able to do. And God will never ask that of us. Now that should give us amazing confidence as we go to take new ground. And taking new ground takes on a lot of forms. Maybe it's, maybe it's finally putting off sin and walking in holiness and clothing yourself in righteousness. Maybe that's the ground that needs to be taken in your life. Or, or, or maybe it's putting off fear and doubt because it engulfs you. And, and finally trusting in the Lord completely. Or maybe it's fulfilling his commission to share your faith and to make disciples. Whatever that ground is, listen now. God will provide and he will give you victory. And his enemies will fall before him, and the battle is his. And when we resist the enemy, the Bible says he will do what? He'll flee from us. The final proof of that is in verse 26. Look back at it for a minute. We didn't read it. Then Joshua made them take an oath at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. With the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up the gates. Uh, would you go to the next picture? Let me show you one more thing. Right there in the center, you see that kind of uh, rectangle-shaped object. That is the ancient city of Jericho. I've stood there, actually. It's just a big hill. You can see it up on the top left. All the city of Jericho is now built around it. But you notice that hill. It's not rebuilt. There's no city sitting there. There are no walls built up. It's just a big mound of dirt. That's the fulfillment of verse 21. Jericho has built around the Mount of Dirt because the city of Jericho from Joshua chapter 6 is still in ruins. 
the Lord's victories are complete, right? The Lord's victories are complete. We have no reason to fear. We have no reason to doubt because God is always faithful to his people. So we can serve him. I know the rain's a distraction, but listen. We can serve him with confident joy that he will provide for us. He'll protect us. He'll empower us. And he'll enable us as we are faithful to him and faithful to his work. It's time to take new ground. Whether it's personally and spiritually, whether it's terms of your faith, whether it's in terms of your obedience, whether it's terms of fulfilling the Great Commission, it is time for us now, today, to take new ground.